Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David, and with me are the NCP crew. Richo. Is 75 some kind of, like, celebratory Yeah, thing? in comics like, and stuff, like, 75 years. Yeah, 75th really issue is always really big. And yeah. if, you're, if you're married for 75 years, then That's pretty you impressive. must be really, really, really old. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, almost on your deathbed kind of thing. But we're still married! <laughs> That's a bit mean. So I don't know what your 75th anniversary thing should be, but let's celebrate it this week. <laughs> We'll celebrate just by being us. I'm still alive! <laughs> we'll have to be over 100 years old. <laughs> be married now. I think I married young, if you're like a child bride or something. <laughs> no, I meant us. <laughs> yeah, if you guys celebrate... to Damascus. <laughs> you, 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 I swear, you guys are going to have to like hope that medical science gets really good in the next like few decades so that you can celebrate your 75th the way we're celebrating it today. With our I'm still alive! Uh, and look... Oh yay! I get to be introduced finally. I get to speak. Yeah, that's, call, that's all we need to hear from you today. Should, thank you, sir. We should call it the teak anniversary or something, or the turquoise anniversary. You know, golden anniversary, yeah. silver anniversary. Like teak or turquoise? I prefer teak because it sounds stupider. Everything you just said sounds stupid, though. So it's all good. I thought seventy-five was silver. No, silver's like 40. twenty-five. No, I mean, fifty is the gold. So seventy-five is gold is fifty. No, seventy-five yeah. platinum. Yeah, so the ritual was right. Platinum. Remember, platinum they, they they do it in terms of wedding anniversaries, and I don't believe yet. I don't believe anyone's hit a hundred year a hundred years of marriage yet. Give them time. For hundred, we'll have the uh, medical science. It'll get there. Gold gold plated latinum. Gold pressed latinum. <laughs> <laughs> seventy-five can be our kryptonite. Core of a comet. Uh, and Grizzle. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> wow. Uh, so for this episode, for well, apparently this very special We're Still Alive episode. Uh, <laughs> We're Still Alive! We'll be reviewing one of the most influential sci-fi books of all time. Of all time! Of all time! I should edit a bit of Kanye West in there. Uh, Dune by Frank Herbert. We nobody had to wait to the 75th episode so we'd have Sorry? time to read it. <laughs> yeah. no, nobody needs a bit of Kanye West inserted into any of 21st century schizoid man. <laughs> what the hell is going on here this whole episode's been hijacked uh, and then we'll also have a popcorn junkie on The Hobbit 2 Electric Hobbaloo <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry I actually, meant, I actually meant The Hobbit The Desolation of Smog that's so funny Electric Hobbaloo actually <laughs> yeah, so funny my headphones fell off <laughs> If it had break dancing hobbits, that'd be probably the best film ever. It <laughs> would be the greatest film ever. Combine the break, break dancing hobbits with uh, Luke's bullfighting dwarves from uh, two episodes back in one, in one film extravaganza. Uh, this could be the greatest film by ever. filmed by Gillum. <laughs> Brilliant! You mean the only one that could make such a ridiculous idea potentially work? <laughs> that'd be magnificent. So let's get cracking. We'll start off with our dust jacket, which is uh, the, the book suggested by Jan Luke. Yep. Uh, Dune by Frank Herbert. So Dune is actually considered by many to be the greatest science fiction novel ever written. Mm. Of um, all time! Of all time! <laughs> um... It is actually on the sci-fi list's uh, top 200. It's actually number two on the list behind uh, Ender's Game, which we've obviously we've reviewed in the past. And uh, That's why yeah. they go wrong. 
And this is, I must admit, this is one that uh, we've been probably sort of talking about and meaning to get to for a long time because you can't do a show like this without reviewing I've put it off as long as I could. (laughs) 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 But we had to do it at some point. Yeah, it's it's a book that does need to be discussed in detail, but fortunately I don't need to worry too much about that because it was Luke's pick and so he's going to tell us a bit about it and uh, why he chose the book. Okay, originally published in 1963, um, June was in fact, uh, like many stories around that time, uh, published or written in two parts um, in, I think it was Analogue, um, or what was then Astounding, um, before Frank Herbert um, decided to write the two, the, the two stories up as one novel. It was called, um, I can't forget the, the first one, the, the second one was called Prophet of June, um, and he decided to combine the two. It, the story is set in the far, 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 far future um, and concentrates on the story of Paul Atreides. Paul is the young son of um, Duke Leto Atreides and um, Duke Leto's mistress, concubine, concubine mm. for, want of a be- for want of a better word. His special lady friend. Um, and it is revealed ah. that um, Jessica belongs to a, a secret order um, comprised of traditionally of nothing of only of women only they have a special power called the voice um however paul is actually revealed to be the male um equivalent well he's been genetically modified genetically modified as a student selected breeding mm. in order to get to a male yeah to get to a male because that would mean that the um the messianic prophecy around that ideology would come true but, um, was it, but he was originally meant to be a girl though yes but jessica was- chose to have a boy because of leto yes Duke Leto being the amb- Duke Leto being the ambassador to one of the empires has in fact been uh, told to go over and take over the running of the planet Arrakis. Arrakis is the chief mining chief mining planet for um, the commodity known as spice, which is an important commodity and become commodity because it is the fuel by which the navigators, which operate the um, the star drive, effectively the star drives for all the ships, um, fold space. Yeah, help them to fold space and get ships going from not just one planet to the other but across whole star systems effectively reluctantly and much reluctantly and much to his young son's um, dismay Duke Leto accepts responsibility for the planet, the planet of Arrakis not knowing that the entire set has been um, a plan enacted by the Atreides ancient enemies the Harkonnens to retake um, control of Arrakis but also to get rid of the, their hated enemies the Atreides uh, and upon arriving on the planet, Duke Leto is betrayed. Jessica and Paul find themselves alone on the run, not from the Harkonnens, but from the wildlife of Arrakis itself. Arrakis is a barren desert planet. They find themselves on the run from both their ancient enemies, plus also the giant worms that um, travel crisscross along the planet as well, until they um, join up with um, the nomadic um, indigenous tribe called the Freemen. Paul, where the, the the prophecy of um, prophecy surrounding Paul and um, the being known as Mardib actually slowly starts to become true. To get to say that this is me trying to basically get the plot down to a nutshell, <laughs> yeah. because to talk about it any further, a would take up too much time, mm. um, and b would actually t- detract from discovering Paul's journey um, for yourself. It is actually it, it, it's the for me this is really the first time that any sort of myth-making in science fiction uh, on a literary scale has actually been um, achieved. I'm a big fan of this. I actually started off by watching the film, the David Lynch's 1984 film. I actually saw it before that, before this. And whilst I'm not a huge not a huge fan of the film, I was interested enough 
to want to track down the book. Just cool. Um, so for once, it's actually the flip of me. I usually yeah. see the film or something and then read the book. But I actually read the book before seeing the film. Um, yeah. And, you know, I love the book. I think it's actually... Wow. E- e- I think the, if there are any flaws, it happens actually early on in the book. The, it probably just takes a little bit too time to get to, too much time to get to the Harkonnen's betrayal. Hmm. As interesting as some of that stuff is, for instance, the Seekers attempt to assassinate Paul, um, what's going on through the Doctor's mind. Um, you, what you really want to do is you want to get Paul out of the desert in with the Freeman um, as soon as possible mm. um, so that you can get into what is actually the story, which is Paul's um, uh, revenge against the Harkons, plus, plus also the plan he's got to go up against the Empire as well. Mm. That's interesting, because I actually had a different reaction. I loved the stuff with Drew Bledo. I loved all of, the, all of the political intrigue and, you know, the, the court... Uh, manipulations and the family rivalries and you like all, that all sort of, of stuff though. yeah but and, but I, and I, I did actually f- for me that stuff was really yeah. fascinating and that's not a criticism um, but yeah. that's your sort of yeah. thing yeah. you, you and, like and also, that sort of yeah. but I mean hearkening back to you know the the you know the, the uh, renaissance you know rise of the merchant families mm. and all of that sort of stuff and yeah. all of the intrigues and you know court poisonings and all of that sort of stuff for, for me the actual lull occurs directly after that first part of the book mm. it takes it takes i think too long to get paul out of the desert and to the freeman it's yeah. just like this real just sort of the book just drops at that point and and not a lot happens for a while there until he actually does get mm. to the freeman i thought I, that that was a bit that lulled for me uh, i'm not saying that you know what what get, gets covered in that first act is boring at all. I'm not saying it just, you know, you want to get into Paul's story. And I mean, part of what you're saying is also what I'm saying as well. You want to get into Paul's story um, really a lot quicker, you know, the meeting of the Fremen. Um, the other the other big um, criticism, and it's not just for me, a lot of people have said this, is the thinking out loud um, uh, device that Herbert uses. It's not, I, I, don't, I don't have such a strong opposition to it as some of, as a lot of people, a lot of people actually find it quite distracting. I don't find it quite distracting, but then I've read comics. But then they try to recreate it in the film itself. Yeah, which I think is, um, is just very he, interesting. it's more a case of that he he gets a bit too verbose yeah. with those thoughts, and yeah, you're yeah. going, okay, you could have said this in a few more, a few less words, and gotten into the action as well. Uh, but I am a big fan of this book. Um, whilst it is not my favourite science fiction book of all time, it is certainly in my top ten, and. Uh, for my mind, nothing nothing has been achieved on this scale um, before, and this has had so many imitators since. But none of those imitators, in, in my in my perspective, come even close. Actually, um, it was a combination of the both of you there. I liked the first part of the story with the with the duke, but not for the political intrigue. I, I sort of liked the familial interactions. Yeah, the the way that they sort of interacted with each other and the sort of family story. And I liked the lead up into like the the fight through the desert, mm. the lead up to the Freeman. I thought that was quite interesting, the way they had to survive and the the, uh, the avalanche and all that sort of stuff. I found it trailed for me once the Freeman story really got started. I was sort of flagging towards the end there. Why is that though? Because that's actually where the story starts so what was it about that's where the story starts for you Luke <laughs> no but as in but as in that's you know that's actually getting into um, the bulk of that's where that, that's where Paul's journey itself mm. I mean that's so what and I, I, I'm not criticising what you're saying mm. I actually find it quite interesting that the moment where the story should actually pick up for you is actually where it starts to trail so why did it trail I just I guess I just as Paul became more important in 
more sure of himself, he became less interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it more interesting you know, as he was discovering his abilities and working out what he could do and realising his fate and everything and how it all came about and and um, Jessica's discoveries about herself and her heritage. I found all that far more interesting. And as the story got started, where you say it starts, um, it became more same old, same old sort of stuff. It probably wasn't at the time, because as mm. you say, there's been a lot of imitators since, but the, none of that was any... I didn't find any of that any terribly original. Well, he, he is playing with um, with the very sort of classic messianic structure there, you know, the mm. the the reborn hero with yeah. a massive powers that's going to save us. No, I'm, not saying, I'm not maybe saying... Maybe that's where the familiarity comes from as well. I'm not saying it was, well. it was bad or, or yeah. anything. It's just that I didn't find it as interesting as the rest of the book. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's a 50-year-old book, so it, it's hard to find anything original in it because people have, have, have imitated it since. But, mm. but as you're so fond of pointing out to me on occasion, isn't that more of a personal reaction... Yeah, absolutely. I'm not pretending it's not. Absolutely. (laughs) Then an actual, you know, this is a problem with the book itself. No, no, I don't have a specific problem with the book itself. That's just my personal opinion about it. I think the book was very competently written. Mm. Um, And I think each one of us have got different things out of it, which is an accomplishment in itself. You can't please everybody all of the time, Mm. but if you can please everybody some of the time in different areas, that's, Mm. that's quite good. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, there's a reason why it's it's imitated as much as it is. I mean, yeah. it is is you know the the, the grandfather of the science fiction novels, of the, you know, the epic mm. science fiction story, and it's and like Roger said, it's basically it's a cross between the hero's journey and the messianic story. So they sort of combine those two in, in in an interesting way, I think. And sort of and going back to what uh, what what Crystal was saying, I I preferred the build up more than when you say the story actually began and I agree with you that's when the story begins yeah. um, but actually I, I actually I quite like the, the build up sort of stuff not so much the sort of the political sort of stuff that Richard quite, quite likes but sort of the developing of, of him as a personality mm. um, and yes his, his little sister mm. and uh, I quite like I quite like Paul as a character yeah I'm just not too fond of the events that go on around him so Paul and Jessica I think are both fascinating when it's just them. Mm. So the trials through the desert, that very exodus sort of walk through the desert until they find the chosen people mm. and all that sort of stuff. Loved all that sort of stuff. Mm. But then later on when you then get into, you know, Paul, Paul becomes basically all-powerful and, you know, also the political machinations come into the fore and all that sort of stuff. I just I just wasn't as... It wasn't but, bad. Mm. I just wasn't as intrigued. But isn't the, um, the thing about that you meant to come away from being... Yes, he is all powerful, but more his reaction to it. That sort of not. Yeah, that, he's not, I like his reaction to it. Like in fact, he's actually of, not happy about it. Yeah, but that that also that bordering on indifference type thing. Well, yeah. yeah, this has kind of actually been faded, so I might as well. Which, uh, it, it, as opposed to say the King Arthur myth, yeah, um, which would have been one of the influences on this. Um, which is no, I've got to go and do this. You know, I've got to go and do this. The the almost the complete opposite of the he- typical heroic. Model, which is no, we've got to go and fight for the for the good of country and for the. It almost seems to be an, Arthur an, an, doesn't even really do that. Well, Arthur doesn't do it for the good maybe, of country. Maybe, Arthur does it for the good of Arthur. Maybe maybe that was a, maybe that was a um, you know a, a poorly chosen example, but the whole idea that you know he, instead of doing the typical heroic, yeah, having the typical heroic oh, reaction like to it, I like it was that. Actually, it, but the, my point isn't that more what you're meant to come away from that. From yeah, that's his reaction. That's what, that's that is why, his reaction. That's why I like Paul as a character. Mm. I like Paul. I like I like mm. Paul's personality. Mm. 
growth. I like his I like his growth, and yeah. where he gets to the point. But I, I do very much like the fact that by the end of it, when he is, I just don't want this. Mm. I just this is just too much, and it's, you know the whole the, the the religion that gets built up, and he's just like this is not where I wanted to mm. be or wanted to be doing. Yeah, um, but you know mm. I'm, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You know what I mean? Which it's, has some interesting carryover into the second novel as well. Yeah, which I haven't read. Oh, a bit actually. I've read I've read Dune twice now. I read mm. it many 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 moons ago, and it sort of skimmed through it sort of again for this one. But I have, I've never read any of the follow-on novels. Mm. I'd like to say I like I don't know how to pronounce his name. How do you pronounce Sting's character's name? Uh, Fade El Rafa. I like Fade's character as well, and I think it's interesting that uh, the way he's brought up because if he had been brought up in Paul's family. He'd be a lot more like Paul, yeah. Because you can see, you can see that in him. But he's sort of forced to be the evil character that he's. Mm. Yeah, he gets he gets, he gets shortchanged in the film version for sure. Yeah, he gets played more of a, as a thug as, as opposed to as a, yeah, as a thug. He's, he's like a like a street kid thug, and mm. it's like this is not. But right. he also he also helps provide the contrast with Paul. Mm. Yeah, um, the anti-Paul. Yeah, to sort of yeah, show he's definitely the, the anti-Paul. Yeah. One of the things I, I do love about this book, and you touched on it very briefly, but I just this is an absolute masterclass in world building. Mm. This book, like, I love your world building. I do love my world building. That's I good. love and it when you create an so interesting world. For stories, yeah, yeah. not just science fiction for yeah. stories in general. If you don't have a good world, then your yeah. story isn't going to work. It's no yeah, foundation. Exactly. You're right. You're right. But um, what what this does? First of all, he does the the, the tried and true method. He brings outsiders into the world mm. so you know you bring paul and his family to it to arrakis so that they discover arrakis while we're discovering arrakis mm. um but everything about arrakis is what shapes has shaped the freemen it's what's shaped their um their mythology it's what's shaped their culture their society everything works is based on the the environment that arrakis presents the very harsh environment that presents and he uses the environment to the to 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 um, as a strength to the story itself, and you know when you do get Paul out in, in the wilds and, and how he experiences that, and then how he then becomes kind of effectively part of Arrakis afterwards when he goes through the whole messianic. Yeah, it is just this is this is how you world build in a science fiction novel. Hmm. Like this is exactly the way that do, it should be I done. I do like and the Freeman thing though, where spitting is actually a sign of respect. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Like, yeah. like crying is actually seen as a sign of. Disrespect, uh, yeah. yeah, not because not because of the emotional contingent, but because you are seem to be wasting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh actually, uh, very very high respect as he, he was giving the dead his moisture. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, and that's the thing, how how he uses that environment mm. to shape those characters with those examples that you've just given. He doesn't ever it's really say how stiflingly hot it is, unless the still suits. Uh, keep you cool, but you, you never, you don't ever get a feeling of impressive, uh, oppressive heat. The still suits don't seem to actually cool you down because you yeah. sweat into them, and yeah. then it recycles yeah, it, so yeah. you can drink it all later so, on. So I mean, I it's almost I, like the heat is the, the suits are designed to allow you to sweat, yeah. so that you can then actually. Uh, it's it's it, very so. good at, at describing uh, the, how precious water is and, yeah, and, and yeah. bleak and, and everything, and desolate the, uh, the yeah. land is. And I just got to say too. Um, the worms are magnificent. I mean, they're just like they're like the, the, they said the benchmark for just awesome giant monsters mm. in in science fiction novels. Okay, so uh, final thoughts. Let's start with Luke. Yeah, I don't argue with a lot of people who consider this to be the greatest science fiction novel of all time. Um, as in, like I said, not my personal favorite, but you know, I am a big fan of it. I give this four and a half looks. Crystal, 
as with all my ratings, I'm rating this on my enjoyment level, not on the actual competency level of the book. I mean, the book is, I can see why it's high up on the list. I really can. But for an enjoyment level, I'll give it three looks. It's just, it just wasn't a, it just wasn't something that if I hadn't had to have read it for the podcast, I probably wouldn't have made it all the way through. Dave? Yeah, I'm leaning, I'm leaning more towards uh, Crystal, but I can, I can, and I can see, I'm, I'm not a fan. Of, I'm not a fan of this book, and uh, but I can see why it's as regarded as it is, um, and why it's been imitated as, as much as it has. I can. It's it's got it's got a lot of elements that I enjoy and like. Um, as, you know, like Paul's mm. journey and, and stuff like that, um, and his little sister, and and really Jessica. I think Jessica is actually my favorite character, and well, you know, sort of her thoughts and feelings and and that sort of stuff. But overall, I actually find the book kind of boring. And um, like Crystal, yes, I I probably won't read it again. I mean, I don't I don't hate it. I don't despise it like I do Stranger in a Strange Land. Mm. Um, but I'll probably never read it again. Um, but I will say this: it's better than the film. Yes, because <laughs> the film is bad, and more importantly, better than the um, the miniseries that um, I think the Sci Fi Channel did in two thousands, which was unlike the film, which um, David Lynch. Rightly or wrongly, took some liberties with, mm. which you expect from filmmakers. The miniseries tried to be; its problem was that it tried to be too literal. Yeah, it, did, it didn't really work. So, so I guess, I guess, in the end, is is as fascinating as some parts of the book it may be. Um, I just overall, I just, I just find it kind of boring. So mm. I'll go with three looks. This was actually the book that inspired the whole read the top two hundred science fiction books of all time in yeah. the first place for cool. me because because I'd never read it. And it was like, well, if wow. I'm going to be a real nerd, yeah. I really should have read. Yeah, I it's really a should must read. read. Yeah, yeah, you know. And um, you know, when I printed out the list and everything, it, it, it worked out to actually be, I think, the first book that I read. Can I just say, regardless of whether you've read Dune or not, you're a real nerd. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So I just, I just got to jump in there as well. When you when you did the list, looked at the list, were you yeah. shocked to see it at two instead yes. of one? Yes, yeah. I fully expected it to be at number one because yeah. of the the high praise that it has. Yeah. Genuinely think it deserves all of the praise and credit it gets, and um, look, I'm going to give it five. I think it deserves it. Cool. All right. So, so basically, you know, if we if we were to sum that entire thing up, if you like books, mm. not just science fiction, yeah. just if you like books, it is the book to read. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, Absolutely. And use that as a springboard to get on yeah. the better stuff like uh, Star Wars Destination. <laughs> <laughs> and look, it, 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 it is the, the Lord of the Rings of science fiction. Like, it sets oh, a spot standard. On. Yeah. It, set, it, spot it, on. It, it sets a standard for how epic science yeah. fiction mm. should be. Yeah. And has been mimicked and mimicked time and time again, but very rarely yeah, has been. You said it, it all when you said The Lord of the Rings of science fiction. That's exactly right. Okay, also, that was a, an awesome review. <laughs> Moving on to Popcorn Junkies. This Popcorn Junkie is going to be a group effort as we discuss The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. I haven't actually ever pronounced Smaug the same way. No, it's, it is actually meant, it's meant to be Smaug because Smaug. in Tal- Tolkien's AU is our instead of war, which is why we pronounce yeah, it sour every, instead of sour. Every time I hear someone say it, everybody says it differently. Because mm, no one's actually... Cause they, 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 no one's quite sure. Even in the movie, mm. no one's quite sure. Smaug. I'm sticking with what I said. You no, said, you said it correctly. Right. Yeah, yeah, close enough to that we're not going to pick up anyway The Hobbit 2 Electric Hobbaloo is directed by Peter Jackson 
um, as, as all of them are. I know, I do the same thing every time. Um, who has a little cameo, I don't know if anybody knows, but yes. he's the very first person you see on screen. Is Peter playing, playing one of the characters that he cameoed in, yeah. in Fellowship of the Ring. That's right, eating a carrot. So, there you go. That was about the only excitement I had during, that, during watching that film. Uh, and uh, written by um, he's the, the usual the usual suspects, Fran Welsh, Philip Bland, Peter Jackson, and of course the original story from uh, uh, Tolkien. Oh, just there is one more screenplay credit in there. It should be Guillermo del Toro. Oh he's yeah, credited Guillermo del Toro. That's right, he is credited. Mm. Yeah, he worked. Uh, yeah, he, 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 yeah. he worked on it for like yeah. two years, yeah, but they just couldn't get the money up to make it. Exactly. Uh, and uh, just like the first one, it stars all the same people, uh, Ian McKellen, Martin Freeman, Richard Armitage, that sort of stuff, uh, but also introduces a couple of new faces. Stephen Fry. Um, yep, Stephen Fry, of course. Orlando Bloom makes a comeback as Legolas. But most importantly, the characters of Bard, as played by Luke Evans, um, and a brand new character to the story, uh, Turiel, as played by Evangeline Lilly. She's an interesting case because she'd apparently retired from acting. Yeah. And was like just raising her kid and then got the call out of the blue saying that they wanted her to be in it. And she was like, yeah. I'll uh, so the story the story continues directly on from uh, the first Hobbit film, um, not counting the weird flashback sequence at the start, which was unnecessary, but that's all right. Unless you wanted to um, see it as a standalone film, then you would have to have it in there. If you see the second Hobbit film and then don't see one or three, what the hell are you doing? You, you, your nerd rage is a little <laughs> bit over the top there. Maybe they just didn't get a see, chance to see the first one. If you one. see only the second film, perhaps you don't want to spend six hours watching the other two. <laughs> well, after seeing this, you would make that decision, yes. <laughs> All right, so, so Thorin and, and, and the others, including Bilbo, have crossed the Misty Mountains and uh, and getting ever closer to um, their goal. Uh, they, have to, they have to go through the Mirkwood Forest, which is uh, not a good idea because the place is not very nice. But, of course, they have to. Um, Gandalf leaves them. They go through the forest. Hijinks ensue. Um, they uh, make a couple of miraculous escapes and uh, eventually get to the mountain. Gandalf, in the meantime, is off on his subplot storyline and uh, meets and finally meets the ne- necromancer, and the necromancer is revealed uh, for who he is, which I won't reveal, because it's awesome. But you can probably guess. Um, mm. You can probably guess, but hey. They actually do talk about it in the first one anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I won't spoil the flu, but it's, mm. it's, yeah, check it out. It's cool. Mm. It's a cool scene. Um, but uh, yeah, so the the Thorin and the, and the group and the dwarves make it to the mountain, and uh, you eventually, you finally get to meet the magnificent dragon, Smog. Mm. That's it. Really. That's it. And, the, and uh, then it stops very abruptly so that we can have part three unnecessarily. Well, that's got to be the most contemptuous uh, <laughs> rundown of a story I've ever heard from you. <laughs> but but uh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's pretty much yes, it. Yes, they go on a series. <laughs> like all quest movies, they go <laughs> on a quest <laughs> and encounter things along the way yes. before reaching the object of their quest. Much like, say, a, Lord a, of the Rings in did. In a drawn-out <laughs> story, story that doesn't need to take three well, films. And look, um, I'm the Hobbit fan here, and I'm, but I have to agree. It, it's The Hobbit, it's not an epic story mm. like Lord of the Rings. I don't think it needs three films, mm. and I think this one was... Even though I enjoyed it, I think it was a bit long. Mm, yes. What was it that you said a couple of episodes back when you mentioned it? Is that you said um, it was middle filmitis or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, it had uh, middle film. Oh, I said you 
it's a sort of the, it's, it's the it's the filler bit. You, you sort of not as excited to see it as you were for the first one because it's the start of the story, and it sort of leaves you hanging because you know there's going to be a third one. It's it's it's, it's Empire Strikes Back all over again. But Empire Strikes Back <laughs> is awesome. No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Return of the Jedi is a better film. No, no, it's not. This is we're not reviewing Star Wars. <laughs> Even so, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm actually going to completely disagree with you here. I actually thought that As the I actually thought that the this was much better than the first film mm. because more actually happens. Like the 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 first film to me felt like the, like a setup it could have been maybe half an hour, forty five minutes till you get to the actual film. Like mm. um, I totally agree. With you. That's, what, that's what I'm talking about with the padding, though. The second everything that happens in the second film. Should have happened in the first, first film. Yeah. yeah, but to me, that's not that's not a detriment of the second film. That's a detriment of the first film. To me, what yeah, happens in the second mm. film is really, first of all, really entertaining. Mm. I love the sequence with um, the elves and the escape from the elves on the, the barrels. barrels. Um, Top notch stuff. The actual the actual fight sequence in, in that is fantastic yeah. to watch. Like Brilliant. that really entertained me. Um, in the same way that I was entertained in the first film by the escape from the from the underground caverns, um, but this one I think was actually. Uh, for me, it felt like there was more invested in this. But like this was no a more songs. important moment. <laughs> yes, there was no songs, and that's why it gets an extra um, an extra look for me because there was no song. <laughs> and 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 secondly, um, in this film, they actually get to what to what the the goal like the yeah. the the quest is to get to the mountain. Yeah. And get into the mountain. Erebor, yeah, yeah, Erebor, yeah, and and still the. Still the Arkenstone, the Arkenstone, um, and that that actually happens. Like they they get to the mountain, they go into the mountain. The sequence involving Smaug, I think, is absolutely brilliant. Like it is another, it's, it's another achievement for Weta, who just continually get better and better, even when you when you can't think they could. Yeah. Smaug is is an achievement in in, in uh, special effects, the likes of which I haven't seen since. We've, we were first introduced to Gollum. Yeah. Mm. Totally and you're great. just totally blown away. Um, and I think here too, um, Bilbo does a lot more in this. Well, in actually, this. he does less. Well, no, I mean, mm. he do, he actually does he actually more. He less screen time. But he does more. Like, yeah. he rescues them from the elves. He's the one that actually goes into the, actually goes into the mountain. He, he actually does stuff. Whereas the in the first is... film, he didn't really do a lot. He no. was in a lot of scenes and he had that absolutely brilliant sequence with Gollum. Okay. But that sequence was just brilliant, and him finding and the important thing there was finding the ring so that he could do everything he does from that point onwards. Yeah, we agree. Yep. So, so he's actually doing more, even though he has less screen time. Um, and so I appreciated this more because a lot more was happening, mm. and I actually didn't mind the the ending because I, I know it's a trilogy, mm. and abrupt endings is part of that. Um, it was the same <laughs> I was with exaggerating with the abrupt ending. Yeah, it was, it was obviously it was a joke. Yes, clearly yeah. there is more to come. Yeah, but it ends <laughs> on a cliff and on an exciting cliffhanger yeah I didn't mind the ending at all yeah. I mean it could, you know there, there are two ways that those sort of scenes can go one you can just get there and go oh bloody hell you know, <laughs> you know or you get there and you're like man I wish I had the next film in front of me right now so I could watch the next bit of the story it was and a cool ending it wasn't this. quite that's hand chopped off this. and hanging from a weather vane level of cool but it was <laughs> it was pretty cool yeah I enjoyed this I was entertained by it and it didn't feel long to me whereas the first one especially the first hour of the first mm. film, felt 
too long for me. Whereas this one, at least stuff was constantly occurring. Well, unfortunately, I I agree with everything you said. I like the the first hour of the first film, and 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 I'm actually this a bit disappointed. Even though really there was no need for it whatsoever, that there wasn't any Hobbiton in the second film because, and I think we can say it now. The movies come out. Because we've actually been there. <laughs> <laughs> we, were never, we, were never, we were never told that we couldn't say that we were there. We, were just, we weren't allowed to reveal anything about when yeah. we were there. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I, th- I think that's pretty safe to say we were yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Because we've actually been there. It, it's, it was really nice to see it on the screen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> on the screen. Even though it's only for a few seconds, we can see it up close in intimate detail. And it really is intimate. Like, it's so detailed. For something that's going to be on a screen for 30 seconds, the camera just brushed past it. It's incredibly well-crafted. It, yeah. you, you, it looks yeah. so real, even when you're standing this close to it. We were actually there a couple of days before they closed it in order to start filming. Yeah. So right. they'd already laid down the dolly tracks. Yeah. Right, so they'd set everything up. Everything was ready, essentially almost ready to go. Right. Um, and... Uh, the only thing that, that needed to be done is they had to paint the leaves on the tree on yeah, Bilbo's house. The they yeah. did ask for volunteers, but uh, no one threw their hand up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but everything and else there was were people there, paid you know, to do that sort of thing. It was, right? it was pretty cool. It was pretty, pretty magical. magical yeah, stuff. Yeah. The other thing I, I want to give credit to for this, and I think I did it when we reviewed the first film as well, is actually um, Richard Armitage's performance. Yeah, it's very good. As um, Theron. He gives gives what the, he gives good dwarf. He does give good dwarf, <laughs> but but more importantly, he he gives um, the gravitas and, um, and and that sort of um, the importance to what the the quest actually is mm. is yeah, he, he gives it that that weight because it's all it's all about what happens to him. Like, like he, he's he's the one that benefits from this yeah. quest. But that but um, that leads directly into why I didn't like it. It's because it's called the Hobbit. It's not called the dwarf. So why is Thorin quite yeah. clearly the central character? But by that token, you could say the same thing about. Um, I mean, the Hobbits are one part of the story. That's yeah. I mean, the, the fact is, is that whilst he gives weight to the quest, Bilbo is the important one in the quest because he's the one that he's the thief. He's the one that's going to get in the thing. And but so and often, that so often more, more than that, he's taken out of center stage and Thorin is thrust into it. But I think that's um. I think but that's be- because Thorin is one of the main characters in the same way that um you know Aragorn is is shown doing stuff in Lord of the Rings whilst the Hobbits are doing their other things whilst four million other characters are doing other things. Even and though Sam stories, should be the actual Yeah, part. while there's 20 stories going on simultaneously. Um, I mean, that's the thing. You, you've got the, the, yeah, the weight of the and that's called the, the Lord of the Rings and Sauron's never in it. So basically, just so what you're saying is, is that it should just be Bilbo just wandering around by himself then, because no, no. it's called the Hobbit and should only have a Hobbit. I'm totally in cool. It. No, no, you're being silly. I'm not saying that the Thorin is an awesome character, and I, and I, I, I really much appreciate him. But it, Bilbo needs to have more scenes that are actually important. I totally agree with you. The fact everything that he does he's, is he's, important. Everything in the second film, when you actually see him and he does more stuff, I'm with you. I totally agree with you. And I agree that he's he does have more scenes in the first film, but he's, mostly he's, he's not doing not doing all yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you totally. But that's that's the problem. He should, be, he should have more scenes than Thorin than anybody else and where he's doing stuff. Mm. But I think no. that comes down to <laughs> the major... It, 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 the, the real problem with The Hobbit as the story just comes down to it, is the way that they've structured it. Yeah. Because um, I have sort of similar um, uh, concerns. I came out of going, well, you could have taken all the Bilbo scenes in the second, in the Desolation of Smaug, leading up to the, the Desolation, up, up to the confrontation with Smaug himself, put, cut, you know, 
a good hour and a half out of The Hobbit, the first Hobbit film, put those scenes in there mm-hmm. and make... And if you want to split into two films, you do it this way. You make the first film about Bilbo himself and his journey to get to the mountain, and then with, with some minor build-up... Well, to be fair, Richo, and the others. With, with, it's not with, just Bilbo. No, no, but with some... Mi- well, no, but apparently it should be. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's called it the Hobbit. just be good there, Bilbo. That has the others. <laughs> but with some build-up as well to... The, uh, the big thing that they're trying to get to, which is the Battle of Five Armies, which is meant to be an epic battle between dwarf men, elves... You would have ended the first but one on the that... Battle of Five Armies. No, no, I'm not, say- no, I'm not saying no. that. I would have said... That's get, madness! Get everything up to, you know, the where the second film ends. Basically, right. what I'm saying is combine yeah. the first two films together. Yeah, I'm with you. Actually take the, the the more interesting stuff, which is, for me, all the stuff with Bill anyway. Um, all the, well, I like the dwarves, but... I don't get the emotional connection to them as I do with Bilbo's journey. One of the, the key scenes in it for me is this is um, early on when um, Bilbo is rescuing them from the spider and he fights the baby spider, but he's lost the ring. Um, and in a, way, a nice way to sort of connect the, the power of the ring itself back to Lord of the Rings, Bilbo, when he loses the ring and he, and he thinks that the spider is going to steal it from him, mm. Bilbo actually goes a bit nuts mm. um, and goes a bit far. And that, you know, that's... I was actually quite involved with what was going on there, and I want. I thought, really, that's what they need to do: can keep that line going, um, make it keep Bilbo as the central character instead of splitting it into three films and spreading it out. Condense all that into one, condense the first into one film, and then keep going from there. There's a nice reflection of uh, that ring thing with Thorin and the um, Arkenstone and the mm. power. Yeah, there, there's a bit of a yeah, it's a bit good. of a change in him yeah no, well. and I had that same thought as well yeah. um, watching it going hang on for the, for us it's the ring for the dwarves it's the Arkenstone mm. that's the corrupting power which they set up in the first one anyway yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm still disagreeing with you on this point here because Bilbo has no vested interest at all in the quest like he's basically just kind of dragged along on this quest so the dwarves you need to tell the dwarves story you need to have the dwarves doing stuff you need to have that because they are the one for who the quest is important and so you need Thorin you need him to be a central character for for, for the third and final time we're not saying don't have have the dwarves dwarves. we're not saying if you focus it it all on on Bilbo and Bilbo's story you're going to lose the importance of everything else like what the actual quest is about and why the quest is important to to Thorin and to the what, dwarves no, and no, the whole quest for a homeland what, and all of that sort what, of stuff is what David say, What David's saying is not don't have the dwarves. He's saying you need to actually um, keep the dwarf story in line with what Bilbo's story is. And Bilbo, because Bilbo is the one who makes the change. It's going from a person who is, uh, you know, small, involved, uh, lives an idyllic lifestyle to actually becoming more engaged with the world around them. We're not saying lose the dwarf story. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you actually need to bring that more in line with Bilbo's story because it does that. it does actually mm. focus far too much on the dwarf story as opposed to Bilbo's so, story. Now, and I, before I, you I bring understand the lo- what you're saying. I'm just disagreeing with it. Um, and and a lot of the flaws that you're talking because, about, I actually think are not actually flaws with this film at all. I think they're flaws with the first film. Mm. I mean, I agree. The first film needs to be cut down substantially. Um, and, uh, but there isn't a lot that I would cut out of this second movie. 
I take out probably a little bit. If you were, mer- you'd have to because if you were merging it into one film. Yeah. But but I don't think that any of that is a flaw with this movie specifically. Yeah. Maybe maybe with the way that they've set up the series on a whole. But and I think those flaws are actually the first movie, not the second film. And I think those flaws become more apparent when you see the second film because you ne- now you've got the comparison between the two. That is spot on. So, so what, what you're saying is actually is giving me. Because uh, I, I obviously can t- you can tell from my intro I, I didn't like this film, but n- what you're saying is actually giving me a new appreciation for this film. Because I, I actually I think you're I think you're, I think you're right. I think you're totally on the money that they should have. I mean, I, like, like we said before, everything that happens in this film should have actually happened in the first film. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, and, that's, and I, 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 I agree with that. Like mm. I, I agree, but for me, like I said, that's not a flaw with this movie. Yeah, I'm with you. Like in reviewing just this movie, in reviewing just this movie, yep. I think this movie is actually really. Thank you. There are still things that I would cut. Oh, yeah. oh it's not. It's yeah, not yeah, a perfect yeah. film. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's Fellowship of the Ring, which is just awesome. But but <laughs> I, like I said, I think those flaws are more uh, are more inherent in the. The way that they've structured the overall trilogy, and, and but it's more apparent in the first film than in this one. But I think that gets back to what Crystal was saying earlier on: is that by doing that, they've suddenly made this one middle film syndrome, given yeah. the middle film syndrome, which means that a lot of the flaws that both um, Dave and Crystal have been talking yeah. about are actually a lot more prevalent. Maybe we've got a different definition of middle of middle film syndrome. My my thing with middle film syndrome, my idea of middle film syndrome is that it doesn't really the problem is that it doesn't really progress the story it's just filler to get to your third film Mm. so something like um the second matrix film which only has like half an hour of story Mm. to me that's middle middle film syndrome with this film i actually felt that this actually this is the film that did progress the story much more than the first one so maybe it's just that definition of middle film syndrome that i'm disagreeing with but but it, that, and that's probably it as well. Yeah, I think and I'm not it. saying that you're actually wrong in your interpretation there. Hey, hey hang on, hang on. can we just stop for a second there? I just want to point out, Luke did actually just say that I, for once, Luke has actually <laughs> said I'm not necessarily wrong. <laughs> I just want to point that out. And I like to point out that I also, you know, qualify that with saying necessarily. So there is still. <laughs> <laughs> but um, usually, usually, it's just the "you're just wrong" thing. So I'm just it's a but it, red but letter moment. This one. <laughs> the, the, uh, what we're really all saying, and I think we're all saying this in many roundabout ways, but we're all saying the same thing, which is. If there are the inherent problems in this film actually belong to the way that they have structured the film overall, if you are yeah. analysing this as a film uh, in and of it, in and of itself, um, I actually do prefer this to the first one. Yeah, for a lot of the reasons stated, more Bilbo actually, whilst he doesn't share the screen more, Bilbo himself is actually doing more. But I do prefer this. I do prefer this film. The barrel sequence is excellent. I like the um, the scene with the spiders. That was a scene that I was really looking forward to. Yeah, um, Smaug is magnificent. Yep. It's actually one of the best. If of the if we're including the all six films as the Middle Earth star, Middle Earth saga, people are Smaug is up there with Moria, Helm's Deep, and Mount Doom. And I quite liked the addition of Toriel. So you know, I'm glad you brought up Toriel. Because <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know we've been on for long, but we actually do have to mention Toriel because she's yeah, no, actually I, I was a mention new addition to the film. Sure. Yeah, she's the Toriel was in, introduced into the Hobbit trilogy because. Um, Peter Jackson and especially Fran Walsh decided that there was not enough female representation. Now, while I don't think that's really a strong enough reason to introduce her as a character, I, as, that's a, well, that's the original story didn't have her, and so therefore this story shouldn't have her either. I did like her though. Mm. Um, the only thing that I didn't like, even though, I, but I liked Evangeline Lilly's performance. I thought she was excellent. Mm. Um, I mean, she's, she's very cute and always has been, and that's fine. <laughs> that's good. As an elf, she mm. should be, um, and. You know, she kicks a lot of butt, and that's cool. The, the thing I didn't like about her is that they introduce this strong 
the strong-willed, capable, powerful female figure. And then what's the first thing they do with her? They throw her into a love triangle. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. why bother then? Mm. Why bother introducing this character who yeah. starts off so powerful and just dominates the screen? Mm. Like, whatever scene she's in, except for this one particular scene, which we'll get to in a second, she's awesome, right? Yeah. Not only just because she kicks butt, but because she's just a very interesting character. Mm. But then... Why go down the 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 romance route as of yeah. of, of her and of her and the dwarf and you know Legolas and all this stuff? It's just it just it just takes away from her, and, and I I found that very disappointing. I mean, I mean, obviously they use it as you know motivation for her character to do what she does and to go after the dwarves. And but things, you could have but, had any other motivation. Yeah, no, I was actually going to say, but I yeah. agree with you. Like they could have come up with a much much better motivation because she knew it was that. the right thing to do. Yeah, it, but it, there's a large majority of the audience who are female, and that's what they think female yeah. audiences want. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's yeah. not like with. I mean, Bilbo Bilbo decides to join the quest in the end because it's the right thing to do. Like he's he, he's very adamant about not joining it, mm. but then it's like. Off he goes, you know, and it's that that, that sense of adve- adventure combined with, mo- most importantly, it's the right thing to do, right? So well, why is it that the male character can have that motivation, yeah, but the female character has to be the love triangle crazy? I, what I do like though about that, the one thing I do like about it is, um, you know, she lives in a very isolated community yeah. and she meets people who have have been out into the world. So part of her motivation is that desire to to see the world, and, and she does express that. But to me, that was that would have been enough motivation for me without the love story part of it as well. Just that desire to get out and see the yeah, world. Yeah, that scene know. where she's talking to whatever yeah. his name is, the, the attractive dwarf. Yeah, um, Gilly, Aiden, Gill, Aiden Turner. Sorry. Yeah. So um, and he's talking about the moon and stuff and all sort yeah. of stuff. That if she had then at that point said, "I will come with you," yeah, I would have said. So, and, then, and then you could have had a nice um, actual um, comparison with Bilbo. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, you could have used those two characters to say, you know, with similar motivations, but you know, different upbringings and things. That could have really highlighted strengths and weaknesses of both of those characters as well. You could have had a moment between. I mean, I know I'm sort of writing the film here a bit, yeah. but I like to do that Toriel and Bilbo as well, which actually brings what Bilbo's going through back into focus a little bit more. Yeah, mm. totally. Um, and it also, it also would, have, would have given more reason for Legolas. I mean, Legolas only basically now is part of it because he's going after his woman. And, it's, and that really annoys me. It's like, because he's defending his borders. It's like, why couldn't, he, why couldn't she have said, I want to do the right thing, you should do the right thing too, and then they join together. Although, the, the, um, without spoiling it, the bit where she helps Keely, the, the mm. end of that scene yeah. is quite moving. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good. Agree. Yeah, I agree. It is good. In response and to, a cool special effect of it. In response to your Legolas statement, I actually do kind of agree with you. However, I, I'm willing to sort of let it go for now mm. to see how it develops Legolas's character in the third film. And if it, if it presents some kind of added understanding of the character and maybe added motivation for then what he does do in mm. Lord of the Rings when he does become part of the Fellowship, then I'll let it slide. Like, if, if it's about the It's clearly character. going to happen because they've introduced Gimli as a pers- as a character now. Yeah. Um, even though he doesn't appear on screen in the picture. Yeah. So he... And obviously, Gimli, he's, he's his best friend ever. Yeah. So at some point in film three, he's going to yeah. appreciate what the doors are going I like through. how they did and, that, and that, too. That was, that was a good scene with yeah. um, Gloing. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly got... The crowd that we saw it with was so excited. Just the mention yeah. of Gimli's name yeah. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I suppose what I'm saying is to, to to sort of if they take Legolas from this very quite selfish motivated character that he is at the moment, like as you say, he goes off after his woman. Yeah. If if the experience that he has when going up after 
uh, after Evangeline Lily, if that then is, is his character arc, that then progresses him into the character that you then see, the, the very noble character you see in Lord of the Rings, mm. then I'll have no problem with what's yeah. happened yeah, here. That's right. But I'm willing to hold off for now to see where it's it goes. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. You've got to remember he's a much younger Lilas. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and he's royalty. Yeah. And so he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it depends on where it goes, really. So, so, that, just, so that just quickly, that just leads into one of the other things that sort of annoys me about And not specifically, I don't want to pick on this specific film about it, mm. but prequels. As Richo knows, prequels are just... I, well, I just find prequels annoying, like himself. Mm-hmm. And it's just this whole... The Gandalf in the Tower thing, mm. it just annoys me because there's no drama. Because you know nothing's going to happen to him. Because mm. he continues on to the front. If it had been something... If it had been Radagast, who doesn't exist in the, in the next three films, mm. Mm, you could possibly think oh, something seri- pretty serious could happen here. The problem is they need to do something other than a fight scene. Yeah, well, true. One of the things I do give this film credit for as a prequel, though, most prequels are very much a by-the-numbers get-to... The, the you know the films that you're making the prequel for so it's all just about the prequel mm. right this one at least is telling a story in and of itself I would point out that the book was actually written as yeah. a prequel it was written yeah. after the Lord of the Rings that's, yeah. Yeah. that's one of the things that that from, from what I've heard point. though from what people have told me though some of this prequel stuff is being incorporated from like Appendices and have you not read the Hobbit? From Lord of oh, yeah, it's been I've never read any of the been been top pad, padded out because oh. the Hobbit is actually not that long, yeah, yeah. But he's drawing from other, yeah. he's drawing source yeah. material from the Lord of the Rings stuff, uh, the Cedrillion and, and stuff like that, so right? Okay, combined yeah. extra stuff in order to pad it out to the three films, yeah. The Hobbit, the Hobbit really could be one, maybe two films, right. 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 But he's also expanding on you know stuff that gets mentioned in the Hobbit itself. For instance, Gandalf yeah. going off and fighting the necromancer. Yeah, so it's actually is actually talked about, yeah. but it's more of a convenience just to get rid of Gandalf so that you know Gandalf doesn't show up. And that was the thing that I really liked in this one: the dwarves and the Bilbo are required to do things themselves. Yeah, yeah. Gandalf does Gandalf doesn't show up to save the day in the end, which is the annoying thing about the first film. Uh, I guess we've pretty, we've pretty much covered everything. So yeah, I think so. Let's go to ratings. I mean, like, uh, like it's already been mentioned, the barrel sequence is brilliant. Um, Smaug is brilliant. Mm. Like, he's brilliantly realised. He, he, I mean, I was, I was just so fa- I was just fascinated just by watching how he moved mm. and stuff like that. And of course, better to come about. Yeah, no, you've got to say, it's, it's, it's always nice to see Sherlock and Watson sharing a scene together, <laughs> even though Sherlock and Watson aren't actually in this. And, uh, I mean, I just, if, you know, the Turiel thing annoyed me, as I said, although I thought she was an awesome character. And, uh, um, and I just, just one slight negative. I just, I thought Luke Evans was phoning it in. He was nowhere near as, as much presence as he's, he's had in other films I've seen him in. So it was, a, it was a bit of a disappointment. But what's interesting is I was actually, I was ready to go to town on this film and uh, and rate it accordingly. But what Richo said actually struck a chord with me. I, I, I do agree with you. And the issues that I have with this film are actually now more evident because of the issues that I had with the first film. Mm. Um, so I thank you for that. It was, it was, I, I, was actually, I was actually going to give this 1.5, but and I do believe I gave the first film 3.5. I actually want to swap that. I want to swap those around. Actually, the first film for me now is actually a, a great disappointment judging by where they've gone from here. So I'm going to change my first one to 1.5, and I'm going to give this one 3.5. It's interesting because I'm like, I was actually thinking along the same sort of lines, but not quite as harsh as you've been. I was thinking I gave the last one, I gave part one four, um, four looks, and now I think about it, I would give this four looks um, because it's not a perfect film or anything. But I was really entertained watching it, and, and by my standard, that that puts it about a four. But then by that standard, then I, I suppose the first film would probably drop down probably to like a th- three three point five for the same sort of reasons because this film has shown me really what the flaws of the first film were hmm as in, as in I'm not disagreeing with anything that you guys have said at all but I think 
because I'm also going through a similar thing. Hang on, I actually gave. I do prefer this, but I gave my. I gave the, um, the unexpected journey three and a half. I'm going to give this three and a half as well. Mm. I did enjoy it more, but you know it is effectively these two are one story, and the th- the next one should actually be a little bit more different. It should be more more of a war story. Maybe what we could do, because obviously in a year's time we'll be reviewing uh, part three, so maybe we could review part three and then just briefly give an as overall as view to the trilogy as well. It's yeah. yeah. a good idea. Um, but I'm, I'm going to give this three and a half looks as well. Okay, I have to disagree on the acting. I think everybody did an, an excellent acting job. Some more outstanding than others, but on the whole everyone did an excellent acting job. And I'm not going to do any of this swapping the scores <laughs> stuff. Um, I've created controversy. The, uh, the first film, for me, was clearly better than the second film. But I think it's just on a personal level. I just enjoyed it more because I love the stuff around The Hobbits. And I love the... Having read The Hobbit and knowing it's a very different book to Lord of the Rings... The first film was more Hobbitish. The second film is more Lord mm. of the Ringsish, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I do think that they're trying very hard to make it an epic series, the same as mm. Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. It's just not yeah. an epic story. Mm. Uh, you could easily make only one film out of it, and I'd still would enjoy it. And that's why I think it just needs to be condensed back to Bilbo a lot more, focus more on Bilbo himself. Yeah, well, the, I mean, in the on the Hobbit, the the dwarves story were quite prevalent. Um, as well, I, mean, I think it's it's been fairly true to the story. It's just uh, it's just expanded it too much. Um, I'll give this one a four. I gave the last one a five. I just I think I would give it a five if it was a little shorter. Mm. It just didn't need to be three hours long, <laughs> uh, and I don't think I'll be buying the extended edition when it comes out. <laughs> cool. Now you made some good you made some good points in the original Hobbit story. Now now that I recall. The doors do get quite a lot of screen time. Yeah, it's Bilbo and the dwarves. It's not, and then the, and you know, and I liked that the uh, the original title of the Hobbit is it's just there and back again. It's a simple tale, and it's written for children. Yeah. So it's whereas the Lord of the Rings trilogy is more written for adults. Mm. I still stand by my flip of the of the reign. Right. I think a lot of people so, too who haven't read the books code have gone to the Hobbit expecting it to be the Lord of the Rings. And I think that's actually I think that's um, Peter Jackson has done that brilliantly. From the reaction our audience got mm. to every possible minimal reference to Lord of the Rings, the audience loved all of that. Mm. Legolas showed up and the audience were practically bowing in worship about how awesome it was that he was there. Mm. You know? So I think maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe Peter Jackson has realised that's what he needs to do for at least part of his audience mm. to really get into it. Um, mm. And he's, I think he's I agree. actually probably I, balanced uh, it out pretty well. Oh, so that's, that's where I disagree. I, I agree with what you're saying. That's what he's done. I just think he's gone a little too far. In the story that he that Peter Jackson has presented in these three films, it's not there is simply not enough to actually warrant the epic treatment. He hasn't actually expanded Spot it. On. He hasn't expanded it enough for it to feel big. It still feels like a very small. It feels, and I'd be having this reaction, even if I hadn't read the book. It feels like a very small story, padded out to make it feel big. Well, there you have it, The Hobbit Two, the divisive review. God damn, <laughs> the review was epic. Yeah. The, story. the film wasn't. The film wasn't. Cool. Let's move on to coming soon. Get some more films coming out that we can possibly tear apart, like we did this one. Okay, coming soon, January 23rd, we get Grudge Match, which 
at first I was quite excited about, but now I'm thinking, what the hell? Uh, when I first heard about it, I thought it was actually a serious drama. It's actually it's Sylvester Stallone essentially playing Rocky, but not really. And uh, Robert De Niro playing his Raging Bull character, um, who play well, essentially not really, but you know, basically the same character. And uh, they get they they meet up at some place with this game studio that's making a game and is photo capturing them in order to put them into the game. And they get this crazy idea to have a uh, apparently back they're like old rivals, and back in the past they had um, they had two fights and one. Of each one of them won one and they never had the third decide about and so they decided to do it even though they're both now really old um, when I first heard it like I said I thought it was a drama and I thought wow this is a, a really interesting case study on you know aging sportsmen and the, well, the, you know the thing Rocky's done you know, a hundred times already yeah. um, but you know but, but with Robert De Niro's Raging Bull character like wow this is unbelievable this would be uh, it's essentially Rocky 6 I suppose um, but now it turns out it's actually a comedy I don't know it's going to be Throw Mama from the Train 2 so I have no idea <laughs> Just sounds sounds really bad. I have no interest. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we also get the Wolf of Wall Street, which uh, DiCaprio and um, Scorsese Scorsese together again. And wow, this is being divisive. People are saying some people think it's brilliant. Some people mm. think it's the worst thing they've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's getting Oscar buzz on one side of one yeah. side of the track, and on the other side of the track, they're like practically wanting to burn copies of yeah, it. Yeah, the reaction it can was insane like the, the usual booing stuff that, that they do but also not but people actually came up to Scorsese's face and said you're a disgrace and it's like oh, you didn't make a snuff film and mm. it's just it's a film about insider trading it's, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't get it weird weird reaction so well, I, no, when it comes out and we see it I want to <laughs> see it <laughs> I was like no I had no interest at all but now I nearly want to see it <laughs> Um, Lone Survivor, which I have no no idea about. Uh, the Great Beauty, once again, don't know. And uh, yet another paranormal activity really? uh, called the Marked Ones. Well, they're really milking that franchise for <laughs> far beyond what really it probably deserved. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely, definitely are. One's okay, every other one, rubbish. So let's finish up with the many varied ways you can contact us. Uh, website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com you can contact us on email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. Uh, Facebook? Facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Twitter? At nerdculturecast. Uh, Skype, nerdculturepodcast. And uh, rate and review us on iTunes. And our Amazon affiliate widget on the website. Money. Money. Give us money. money. Remember, remember, David wants to make a million dollars. I now do regret that statement. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, you're, you're saying that the figures aren't quite adding up for an annual growth figure of a million dollars. It was the first episode of the year. You were fired well, up. Enough, I was fired up. Bear in mind, you know, you never know what could happen over the coming year. It has only been two weeks. It's so. been two yes. weeks. And, and I must say there has been a couple of, uh, a couple of orders, so that's pretty cool, but... Not quite the million dollar mark. Every, well, everybody buys it. But everything extended edition if, if, you're, if you're out there in podcast listening land and you've got a few hundred million dollars that you want to spend on Amazon, do it through our widget. That's right. That's, a, that's, that's all a we point. ask. Or just give it to us. <laughs> Screw Amazon. No, the widget works because then you get stuff as well. Yeah. But we get stuff too. Yeah, that's true. Mm, democracy. We get love through money. That's right. How sad are you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's it for episode 75. Thank you very much for joining us for our epic <laughs> Hobbit review. And uh, trust me, it went a lot longer than you actually listen to now, but uh, I had to cut it down for length, obviously. Uh, thanks very much for me and the crew, Richo. 
Was our review really an epic or not? I'm not quite sure. Do you think that perhaps we could have cut maybe more out of it and told a simpler story in our review rather than actually trying to make the epic review that we did? What do you think, Luke? I think you're about to get bashed. <laughs> <laughs> Luke? Um, I think what you're doing is that you're bringing in your previous experiences with our other reviews into this review in an attempt to, uh, to justify your own arguments. Crystal. I'm going to read the book version of this review. <laughs> the book version. But you have to read it. Do you read it before or after you've listened to the review back again? So. I don't have a TARDIS. So I'll have to read it after. <laughs> I need a drink. Bye. 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 <laughs>